Welcome to A Thousand Tiny Steps. I'm Barb Higgins, and in this podcast, I'll share personal stories of great joy and tragedy and the steps that brought me there. I have become adept at tracing them backward to find the origin of an event, good or bad, that has affected my life. I have gone from being on top of the world with Division I All-American success to being unable to get out of bed with the grief of losing a child and everything in between. I am painfully honest, which can make people uncomfortable, but discomfort brings growth and oftentimes tragedy brings joy. So tie, buckle, slip on, release up your shoes and join me as we begin our thousand tiny steps. Hey everybody, Barb Higgins here welcoming you to my one year anniversary episode of A Thousand Tiny Steps. So it's number 53. I actually just listened to a podcast, pros and cons about people who number their episodes or mention the number when they begin and all that sort of thing. And there's like everything in the world, there's pros and cons to all of it. But I like numbering the episode because it satisfies my need to quantify things and measure things. I talk a lot about our desire to identify things by time. The longer something happens, either the better it is or the worse it is. Anniversaries, reunions, we, we as humans here in the physical realm have this way of quantifying things. And time is one of the ways that we do it. And so here I am sitting in a different room than I was a year ago today. But a year ago today, I recorded a podcast episode. I believe it was episode two. It had been the beach day for CrossFit Amesbury at Hampton Beach. And I was so new at that gym then. I didn't go. It was yesterday. I didn't get to go this year. Things, some things came up and things were just different. But I look at all that has gone on in a year and I just thought, you know, let's step back for a minute. Let's take a little break and take a look at, at you know, what has transpired since I began this journey. So in really thinking about when I began the journey, I reached out to Jace, who is my editor, Jace Apollo Creative, in May of 2021. Actually, I reached out in April. It was just about a month after Jack was born. And I will tell you this, childbirth does a lot to people and, and you're a hormonal wreck <laughs> after giving birth to a child. And I had some pretty emotional things going on in the days and weeks and months after Jack's birth. It set me into a bit of a panic. No matter how much people would tell me to calm down, everything was going to be fine. I was unable to really receive that information and hear it. And some of it was past experience and some was just where I was at emotionally and hormonally. I just felt like, okay, I've had this baby followed what the voices in the universe told me to do and it worked. And here's a baby. I have a baby. And so I put me into a bit of a panic. What now? And I have no desire and I continue to have no desire to try to recreate a life for Jack that mimics what Gracie and Molly had. I don't want to go back and do it again. It didn't work. And when I go back to any memory, I, I get sad. And so, you know, I'm trying to create this new experience for Jack. And what will his mother be? She will not be an online teacher forever. She will not well, maybe she will be an online teacher of some sort. I don't know. I just didn't want to, want to try to mimic what was blown up and taken away in 2016. I wanted it to be different. And so I think I've started that process. I had no idea going into the podcast business how much it entailed. And I think I'm doing it in such a way that it's a lot more work than some people. One thing you, you do notice when you start a podcast is you meet other podcasters. And, and I know people that record their whole podcast on their on their phones. And they have this very, very inexpensive software and up, boom, there's their podcast and that's how they do it. And I've listened to some of those podcasts and some of them sound fine and others not so much. I have an editor and so a lot of my ums and pauses are edited away. So I sound a bit more smooth than some of the people I listen to. I'm not sure that that 
isn't always necessary. However, when I listen to my initial episodes and then the edited version, I, I'm always, always amazed at, at what my editor is able to do to streamline an episode or to organize it better even. So there's that. I have a lot of graphics and I have two websites now and all of these things that go along with it. And that has been an enormous amount of work and an incredible amount of patience on the, on the part of my editor, Jace. And I've had a couple of, you know, experiences with web design and web pages. And, you know, I had this little web page forever, a thousand tiny steps, and it was just like Blogspot. It's where I put my blogs and it wasn't attractive or interactive or anything. It was just sort of a, an online dumping ground for things I wrote. So I'm ready for it to be more than that. And a year and a half after starting all of that process, I feel like we're just now getting there. It's been a lot of work and a lot of self-growth. What I have noticed is that, and nobody who knows me will be surprised, sometimes I'm just my own worst enemy. I'll say I want to do this, this, and this, and then I'll get sidetracked by somebody needing a favor or somebody needing help or somebody saying, let's do this instead, or my unwillingness to somehow you know, put myself first sometimes. And so I continue to struggle. Actually, it's Sunday night. And I said Friday night to get a lot done this weekend. We have no childcare this coming up week. So I'm not sure how it's going to be. But here I am sort of enunciating the same concerns that I enunciated a year ago when I first began recording the podcast. I had to parcel away little snippets of time to do it. Not a lot of that has changed. And sometimes I think it's my desire to control. I was in a like I sat in on a masterclass for entrepreneurship and manifesting money. And we talked about, you know, we were asked to share things. And I talked about the movie Homeless to Harvard, the scene I often bring, come back to where the little girl wanted to control everything. And the more she tried to control things, the worse things got. And it wasn't any bad feelings on her part. It was just this panic to keep things safe and the same. And oh, when I look back at some of the things I've struggled to hold on to, you know, I realize. Had I just let go, I might've been offered something much better. And then that happened still. I'm, I told that story just the other day in, the, in this class. It was interesting. So what has the podcast done for me in that regard? When you talk all the time about yourself, <laughs> not only do the things that you like about yourself come up, but you get to see from the point of view of your listener, what you sound like and, and how you tell your stories and the words you choose and what comes across. I learn from myself every time I re-listen to a podcast episode that I've given. I am oftentimes surprised and taken aback at what comes out of my mouth because I really, you know, here's, here's my plan. So there are people that really outline their podcasts. If you're watching, I'm holding up a piece of paper you may not be able to see. And it's a list of things and a list of months and a list of, of ideas and things to talk about. I can't read a speech. I'm a wonderful public speaker, but I cannot read a speech. I can write one. And then I can take highlights from it. If I just read the speech, I lose my connection with the people I'm talking to. And I think a podcast is the same way for me. However, I am just learning and learning as I go along. So what I thought I would do first is talk about each of the five seasons just briefly, not go back and rehash them. But what I was thinking at the time and where I am now, and when I was thinking of a name for the podcast and came up with a thousand tiny steps, I was, was and am really still trying to analyze where were the first steps in that beginning of the end of Molly? And when was it a downward slope? And I wasn't aware of it because how can you be until it happens? I have in all of my talking and all of my thinking about the different aspects of my life, every story I tell, five others come, come to mind that are the same lesson or the same issue or the same trauma reaction. And I'm overwhelmed with 
how many clues life can give you and you don't take them because you're not in a place to receive them. Doing this podcast has been incredibly, incredibly healing for me. I often say I don't like being told what to do. And so I try very hard not to make my podcast about, you know, take what I did and learn from it. No, 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 no. Take whatever you want from it or take nothing from it. All I'm doing is really trying to share my, my story as honestly as possible in a way that will hopefully help other people. I've started listening to another podcast. I'm jumping around a bit, but it's, it's how I am right now. I've mentioned it before and it's called Shenanigans, Shenanigans. And what I love best about that podcast is that they really just have free conversation. It's not a scripted conversation. I think they may have a list of questions, but the response to the questions and the way that the two hosts talk to one another sounds like home. And it's because these people have known each other. These women have known each other for a long time. They have guests on. They are wonderful interviewers. They don't interrupt their guests unless it's sort of playful banter. They really produce a very, very relaxing to listen to podcast talking about really difficult things. When do I learn the most from their podcasts? When I connect to a story they're telling. When I listen to their words and I picture in my mind something that's happened to me that's similar. And when I look at the feedback that I do get from my podcast, from this one, it's the same thing. The biggest piece of feedback I think I've gotten in all that I've talked about from a variety of people is that people can picture in their heads what I'm saying, they can follow along, that I tell a good story, that I'm easy to listen to, and that my willingness to talk honestly about things that make people uncomfortable is incredibly helpful. And that eases my mind profoundly because quite honestly, my friends, I haven't gotten to some of the hardest stuff yet. What does this have to do with, with figuring out when did Molly die or why did Molly die? What led to that happening? I think I've known for a long time where my life took a turn and set up the perfect storm, so to speak, of events leading into all the wrong turns that could be taken to end up on a Saturday in May pulling the plug on the machine that was breathing oxygen into your daughter. I think that, you know, there are a million things that led to that day. And many of them are my own doing, but so many of them are my willingness to let people sort of take advantage of me. In terms of the future, what next? My next season, season six will be a fun one. It'll be high school and college. And I thought of it separating those seasons out, but high school and college sort of encapsulate the majority of my running career. Or not necessarily the majority of it, because I, I still hopefully will have more of a running career. But I became a completely different person once I laced up my shoes and started running. And so it's a logical place for me to combine two big parts of my life. It's only eight years, four years of high school, well, nine years, five years of college. I got a graduate degree as well. So many things happened to me during those years, and I learned so much about myself, and I became something I never thought I would become. And then season seven would logically be myself as a child. And, you know, I've also talked about my surviving child abuse and, you know, all that goes into living in a trauma-based mind and what happens when, when your life is traumatic and the different ways it can affect people. That has probably been one of the biggest eye-openers for me. When I was doing therapy after Molly died with the most wonderful Elizabeth Moulton. Oh, Elizabeth, how I wish you were still practicing. We talked a lot about boundaries and I told her the whole story, my whole sort of child abuse story and, and the family upheaval and all the things that all the different people who got therapy from whom and, and where the therapy took place. And, you know, and she just, she just looked at me after I had told her all the things that you will all hear one day. She just looked at me and she said, I have no idea with all you've gone through why you're not, you know, dead from a fentanyl overdose or living under a bridge or in a locked facility. And she wasn't trying to be snarky or sarcastic at all. She really, the look on her face 
And it actually made me feel better about myself. I have to say, you know, I have a person in my life who I will also talk about a lot more as the, as the seasons go along, who never, ever, ever had a hard time telling me <laughs> what a failure I was and that everything that was wrong in my life was my fault. You believe those things when they're told to you long enough. That's been a huge eye-opener for me as well. The last thing I'll mention just quickly before going into sort of what I had planned is that another thing that's been told to me is that I like to play the victim. Well, poor Barb, poor Barb. And you know, victim is a funny word because it shouldn't be looked down upon. You know, a child that's, that's abused by a parent is a victim. There's nothing wrong with that child. <laughs> What's wrong is the parents that are abusing the child. The child's been victimized. The child is a victim. We turn sort of self, well, you know, self-sadness, self-pity, feeling bad for yourself, being so, so sad and despondent that you can't get out of bed. We turn that into a sign of weakness and something that's wrong and bad. And that does nothing to help those things. I'm a bit tender today because I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard, a hard time. This is August 28th. And if I had to talk about a modern day beginning of the end of Molly, it would be today. I talked about this in the Molly season. I entered into a, a relationship, a friendship with somebody in that year before Molly died that accelerated a lot of the bad in my life. This time of year is hard for me, this going back to school. So as I begin this and talk about self-pity, you know, is it bad for me to walk around and feel sorry for myself? No, I'm sorry. It's not. It just isn't. We have to. The more we shove it down and tell ourselves to suck it up and be tough. Okay, that's fine sometimes, but you also have to give yourself permission to sit under a, a dock at the beach and play in the sand and let the water wash your toes and cry. You have to allow yourself those times. If you don't, then those, those feelings that come out when you do feel bad for yourself will never go away. You know, I've had some friends in my life. Roy was a big, big proponent of calling me out on playing the victim. Poor me, poor me. There are aspects of my life that I feel very justified in saying, poor me. I have a dead fucking kid. Poor me, too, actually. Up there in heaven, not here. Do I play the dead kid card? I most certainly do not, because I wouldn't even know how to play that card. It's too much of who I am to ever use it as something to play. In my learning curve of a podcaster who's talking about herself, yes, I have been victimized and, and a victim and am a victim of many things, but I am not a self-pity consumed, poor me living person who runs around trying to find people to feel bad for me. Not at all. I don't want people to feel bad for me ever. I want people to look at what has happened to me and learn from me or learn from my experiences. I want people to look at me and say, dang, you know, she's doing okay. Because I want to be doing okay. And when I'm not doing okay, when I'm a hot mess and somebody goes, oh my God, she's a hot mess. Yes, I am. Thank you. We all are hot messes sometimes. It's really, really hard. When I look back on, on so much of what went on in my life in the years leading up to Molly's death and my situation then, and I think to how much Molly and Gracie hurt watching me hurt and how much I hurt watching some children in my life hurt, it's really hard to re remember those times and not, and not get sucked into the abyss a little bit. I also had, in this past few days, I had a Facebook Messenger message from a wonderful woman named Robin who, who I have admired forever. She's just a, a mom in the circle of Molly Gracie mom friends. And her son, Harry, went to preschool with Gracie. And he's a ballerina, a ballet dancer. And I think I've mentioned him before. At any rate, she's this wonderful, wonderful person who I have admired forever. She's eight kids. She can make it all happen. I've always looked up to her. And she sent me this amazing message. I hope it's okay, Robin, I'm giving you this little shout out here. But 
I'm the first one to look at myself and, and make a list of everything I haven't done. I mean, I've been feeling that way a bit today. I just was so despondent, like another Sunday where I'm cramming all Barb stuff into the last three hours of the day because I never stand up for myself and just really, really self negative self-talk today all day long. That isn't what people see. And Robin's message was just how she just thought I was doing amazing things and that she liked listening to the podcast. My college boyfriend, David, his sister, Diane. Hi, Diane. I've mentioned her before and she listens. And what I love about her is that she'll message me and ask a question. Hey, can you explain this a bit more to me? I don't remember that. What did you mean by this? I love that. I love the interaction. One thing I feel that I want to really, really ask all of you who are listening is for more feedback. And maybe I need a more specific, you know, podcast, Instagram page or something. I use all my personal social media because so much of my life crosses over. I'd have, I'd have 50 million pages if I had a, an Instagram account for everything I did. So I haven't quite figured that out yet, but I really want the interaction. And what I love about Diane is several times she's reached out just to say, hey, I like that episode or hey, I have a question or I love it. And, and one of the things that she also said that was similar to what Robin said was that it was easy to listen to me tell a story. So hopefully I will not become a boring podcaster. <laughs> I will do the best I can to keep the stories interesting. And I actually think so much of high school and college is telling stories. Anyway, so that will be fun. So those are some things I've learned in the podcast journey in this past sort of year and a half. Really, Jack was born in March. And once I was done with all the real true postpartum and started thinking about what came next, April came along and, and it was like, I think I'll do a podcast. So I like it. <laughs> I'm having a good time. So I have done five seasons. So I had Jack and then Molly and then a trauma sort of, trauma keeps the score. That book like drove season three. And then sort of a parenting season. What's it like now versus, you know, parenting Gracie and Molly and Jack and all that. And then season five was, you know, the year before I had kids. When I first moved back to Concord and then all the years starting my teaching career, meeting Kenny, you know, having Gracie and Molly, losing Gordy, all of that up until 2005. And 2005 to 2016 will be when I'm ready to talk about those things. That'll be a pretty intense season. Each of these five seasons has brought with it, an unbelievable learning curve. I would say the easiest season to just get on and talk about was Jack, because I was just talking about all the things that were happening. And Jack's birth has created a number of changes in my life. We've had tremendous TV coverage, news shows and online coverage and webpage coverage. We flew to Utah and filmed a commercial for Montefiore. As I record this podcast on August 28th, we're a couple of days away from heading down to New York City to take another look at the billboards and at the building and just to sort of you know, take it all in and see what that's like. Jack's life has connected me with amazing mothers. Some who've had IVF success like I have, some who have not. I just read an article and actually a woman sent it to me that I don't really know very well, but she sent it via Facebook Messenger. Hey, Barb, did you see this? I saw this article. And it was a very well-written article, totally blasting the commercial, saying what a terrible thing the commercial was. I actually should do a whole podcast episode on that. Maybe I'll do a live on it. I don't know. But I'm not opposed to anyone having their opinion or their thoughts. That's the whole beauty of putting yourself out there. There are people that love my podcast. There are people that have no desire to listen to it. That is all absolutely as it should be. We are a diverse culture and population and humanity is not all the same. So this woman was concerned that the hospital had had this wrinkly faced, hunched over woman sitting all by herself in the pitch black. And then somehow now I'm, you know, nursing a baby and, you know, promoting a hospital. And oh, by the way, what are the genetics of the baby? And oh, by the way, she didn't even go to that hospital to have the baby. It was a very, very critical, critical article. 
And I very much would love to speak to the woman who wrote the article because she never got in touch with me to ask, to clarify any, any of the assumptions she made. Much of her article is false. That piece is interesting to me. So one of the other things that's come up with me in, in regard to my season about Jack is I've gotten a lot of feedback. When I read the comments online after the articles and after the webpage stories, that most of them are positive. So many of them are negative, like how selfish I am to have a baby and I'm, that you know the baby's going to be changing my diapers and all of the things that, that people say. I expect that. The beauty of podcasting and actually journalism in general is that you put it out there and people have the right to respond however they want. Or they have the right to feel however they want to feel. I think sometimes how we respond to things is more a measure of <laughs> what we have for manners and what our thoughts are inside sometimes. Not that you have to be polite. Sometimes rudeness works. So this particular article was sent to me by a woman that I'm not quite sure how she knows me, but she sent it. And it's on a website that's called Next Tribe. And it's a website, Women Helping Women. And so the article... I find troubling because I don't feel supported. I don't feel that this woman, her name is also Barbara. Her name is Barbara Lippert. And apparently she dissects ads, TV ads, and analyzes them. Well, actually, that's not a bad thing to do because we can be very brainwashed by TV ads. And so for someone that doesn't know me or really know the story, I can see where the Montefiore ad, which is me sitting in a canyon in the dark, if you've seen it, you know what I mean. She turned it into this very, very, very sort of negative, like I was being isolated and hunched down like I'm helpless and alone. And, and then suddenly because of Montefiore, I rise up and some of her, what she focused on in the article, I found a bit personal. And then she also made some assumptions. She, she assumes I have a husband. I don't have a husband. She assumed our interviews were done at home. They were done in the canyon alongside. And she, she makes two critiques in the commercial. One is my wrinkly face. And the other is that I'm breastfeeding a baby. And I just think for a website that's supporting women, I found that upsetting. I'm sharing this openly. I have not reached out to her, although I did leave a comment on the comment section of the website, but I've not heard back. I would love to talk to her what this whole commercial and everything triggered for her because she was obviously triggered. And she actually threw the word malpractice in there. And that triggered me because I know what medical malpractice is. And in my commercial, isn't going to kill anybody. <laughs> I'm sorry. And maybe it will give somebody some false hope. But even then, no hope is false hope. If my commercial leads an older woman down the path of IVF and she finds that she can't, then she at least got the chance to try and got the chance to take the steps. And that was really my, my motivation from, from always. Season one was Jack. Having Jack got me to sort of start the podcast in the first place. And I'm learning now that my story and the things that come from my story evoke positive and negative responses. I really would love to talk to her. And maybe when I get ready to have podcast guests, she can be one of them. I don't know. It was just interesting. She was very, very, very hung up on the fact that they did a close-up on my wrinkly face. Well, okay, I don't want to put makeup on and hide who I am. I'm a lot of things, but I'm also, this is what I am. My hair's messy. It needs to be colored. If you're watching me right now, you can see all my dark roots. What do I care? That's who I am. I'm not going to put on a bunch of makeup and hide behind it. I'm not. She was all very, very concerned that we didn't talk about sperm and egg. Well, okay, Jack's biology is his business. It's no one's business. You know, I could ask her, who's your father? Are you sure? <laughs> Do you really know? Those things were interesting to me. And you can tell it's triggered me a little bit. But I feel that that's healthy. We should be challenged. So that was the Jack part. Molly. So in the process of the, of the podcast, I've really been working harder to make the Molly B Foundation an actual foundation instead of supporting it with my own money. In the process of researching foundations, I find that so many people do exactly what I do. I just keep writing checks 
and paying money because I have the money and I just keep spending it and I'm not making any money. I haven't, I haven't fundraised successfully in my foundation and I haven't monetized my podcast. These weren't my big goals in the beginning. So the fact that they haven't come to fruition is because I'm not really focusing that way, but I'm ready to now. I want the Molly B Foundation to be an official 501c3. And we're in the tedious process of making that happen. Talking about Molly and keeping her alive in the healthy ways that people who have passed on should be kept alive is important to me. And I think a positive aspect of, of the podcast. Two things here, because I've lost a child, two actually, and because I've lost so much of what you lose when you lose a child, I started David Kessler's grief certification coaching course. And boy, have I learned a lot. It's phenomenal. One of the things that they say that is different now, psychotherapy and all of that morphs, that in order to process grief, you should keep talking about it. You should keep talking about the person that's died. You should keep talking about how you're feeling. You know, that used to be, I remember Coach Ludi telling me that when his daughter Phyllis died, you worked all day and you cried all night and you didn't talk about it to anybody. You just didn't. You put it away. And in terms of how life was in the 1940s and 50s and 60s, maybe that makes sense. But it's not that way now. I think there's safety in conversation. And I love talking about Molly. People talk about their alive kids. Why can't I talk about Molly? And yes, my stories about Molly stop April 30th, 2016. The next story is the beginning of the end of her in the most literal sense. The Molly season of the podcast allowed me to reminisce. It allowed me to talk about the things that the foundation is doing for her right now and also what we want it to do. So a year ago, I did not have a board of directors like I do now. A year ago, I had not had two meetings like I have had now. A year ago, I didn't have the 501c3 in process like it is now. It's better. Is it where I want it to be? Not even close, but it's better. That's a continued piece of the process. If any of you listening have any experience in nonprofits, I would love, love, love to hear from you. I will listen to everything you have to say, and I will accept any help you can give. Trauma keeps the score. So this is a serendipitous sort of event. Season three, I, I wasn't going to get into talking about books. And in the, in the process of listening to my podcast episodes that he has to edit all the time, my editor suggested the book, The Body Keeps the Score, and I bought it. And oh my God, it was life-changing. And I've talked about this before as well. And, and so many so many decisions that I have made make sense. So another piece of both trauma and grief that I've learned in the process of doing this podcast is neuroplasticity and the actual scientific side of the emotion in the process of grief. So, you know, we often think that emotions are, are emotional, they're hormones, or they're based on things that aren't real. And that, you know, that if you want to be successful, you have to put those things aside and squelch them. It's a very masculine view of putting on some tough face, some bravado. And a lot of things go on in the brain when different emotions are being experienced. Sometimes, like for example, stress, positive stress, a roller coaster ride, woohoo, negative stress, car accident. The body responds identically. The body itself doesn't know if it's good or bad. The mind does, and your emotional well being knows the difference, but the physical effect on the body does not. I found that interesting. I learned that when I began teaching high school health, and I thought that was so, so interesting. In the process of talking about Molly's death and talking about child abuse and talking about my job loss and Roy and talking about the failures in my marriage and all of the things that I've gone through in my life. I realized that so much of this is absolutely brain-based. And when I say brain-based, I mean neurological in nature. And so the learning process around that has been phenomenal. The grief course that David Kessler teaches talks about that as well. And this course is designed, you know, for the person who would be the grief coach, you know, how do we facilitate healthy conversations with our grieving clients, that, that kind of thing. 
I never, ever stop learning. This is one thing I've been good at applying to myself. I don't always take my own advice, but, but it's so eye-opening when you're suffering in a way and you hear a story or you read a book and you go, oh my gosh, that's so helpful. Or I never knew that. This is another way my therapist, Elizabeth, was super helpful with me was when I talked about how I would end up in the line at Rumlet. I kept making mistakes and going to places Molly had been, and it was just heart-wrenching for me. And then she talked about how all the neural connections between when you carry a baby in your belly and you, you, know, you give birth, you create nine months of this nervous system connection, brain to brain, and it doesn't stop with birth. Dads have it, but not nearly to the, strength, the extent as birth mothers, mothers that grew the babies. It develops because it's a natural, I think it's a survival mechanism with babies and their parents, it's specifically mothers more so than fathers. Typically in, in all of history, fathers would be away more from the children. It was the mothers that were always connected to the baby. So this has also been fascinating. And this would have come out of season three, which was the trauma keeps the score and really analyzing how these things happen, how everything's fine and then everything isn't. And where did it start? Where was the first of the thousand tiny steps? Season four was parenting differences. In this season, really, really just looking back to experiences with the girls, with Gracie and Molly, and looking at it now, I feel that this helped me understand and empathize a bit with new mothers. And there's a bunch of moms that had babies right around the time Jack was born. Of course, I have nothing in common with these women. I'm not invited to their play dates with their kids, and I'm not in their social circles because I'm not 32 or 28. And sometimes I worry that, well, Jack... <laughs> not have friends because his mommy doesn't hang out with the mommies of his friends, his classmates or whatever. You know, I worry about these things sometimes, but it's just been so eye-opening to watch what the new parents struggle with and stress over. And the biggest thing would be all the new gimmicks. You know, you don't even have to hold your babies anymore. You've got swings that circle, circular motion them and, you know, cribs that sing to them and, you know, all the things that the mothers used to have to do. And, you know, I can be, I can be a bit cynical about those things because I feel that it just separates mothers from babies. But I also know that I don't have any of those things. <laughs> there are times I'm ready to <laughs> throw the baby out with the bathwater, if you know what I mean. I would love a singing crib at times. So in those seasons, I think what it made me do was really open my eyes to other mothers. Also, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about MomStrong. So MomStrong is my CrossFit class in Amesbury that I actually you know, started right about the time I started thinking about doing a podcast, I started that class. And it's really been wonderful to watch mothers and fathers interact with their babies in the CrossFit setting in a gym. It's been phenomenal. I love watching the kids mimic their moms, primarily moms, not all moms, but mostly. Anything that involves a mom lying on the floor, a sit-up or a plank or anything, inevitably the child is on top of the mom, <laughs> holding onto the mom, climbing on the mom. I can't lie down at CrossFit because Jack is there in a minute, which I love. I never push him away. So those are things that came up in that season for me. And then sort of analyzing and looking back at my own parenting with Gracie and Molly. And of course, my job loss and, and all. And then having to work 50 million part-time jobs to pay bills and all. Set a very different tone for the kind of mom I was with them. Positive and negative, I have to say. There were a lot of great things that happened with me not working a normal nine-to-five job. I got to spend a lot of time with them which after Molly's loss, I was incredibly, you know, thankful for. And then season five was, you know, moving back here from Boston and all the jobs I went through to get to the school district and then losing that job. Actually, I'm not there yet. <laughs> Never mind, jumping ahead. Everything that brought me up to the point where the wheels would soon begin to fall off the bus, so to speak. There was a lot of growth there as well. 
I think one of the most significant things to come out of that time period of my life, and I talked about it just a couple episodes ago, was the birth of my sister, Eleanor. And really looking at generational issues, how our lives are so different. One father, three daughters, completely different generations and upbringings and completely different experiences with Tom as a father. So I'm incredibly lucky in that regard. I have such a wealth of knowledge upon which to draw that can go into looking at parenting and how it happens, you know, generation to generation. So what what do I do now? Okay, now I'm going to talk about some things that I've accomplished along with the podcast that would never have happened if the podcast hadn't started, if I hadn't stuck with it and not given up. In terms of sticking with it, a lot of podcasters take a break. The one I'm listening to now, Shenanigans, I've finished season two. I don't know when season three starts. And, and last time, their season one to season two break was a couple of months. So I wonder sometimes, you know, should I do that? I don't always know why people take a break. Is it a time thing? I know that that the lovely ladies of Shenanigans, Jen and Christine, both work full-time. So maybe they just need a break and maybe the way that they record their podcast is different. My feeling is I'm just finally now getting a newsletter going. I'm starting blogging again. Why would I want to stop the momentum? I do better when I have a momentum going. So I don't know. I don't know. You know, I don't really know what to do. So I've decided not to take a break. I thought, oh, if I took a break, people could catch up if they were behind. But I don't, I don't know. I haven't quite figured out what to do in that regard. But there will be a season six and you will listen to episode one of season six, episode 54 next week. My decision is to just keep going and doing what I'm doing. I started blogging again. So I love writing. You all know that I've you know, signed all the contracts and everything is set for publishing the memoir that Virginia wrote for and with me. We're in the editing process now, which will take place via Zoom, two continents, an ocean apart. But writing for me, writing has always been very therapeutic and I would often keep track of challenges and I would write, you know, when I did a 30-day paleo challenge, I wrote every day for 30 days and I posted them on Facebook. And by the end of that 30 days, I had like several hundred people reading it. And, and I remember everyone saying, why did you stop? But I'm not good at just writing every day. And so, you know, in the process of realizing, wow, I can release a podcast a week. I can do this. I think I'll start releasing a blog a week. So I'm ready to write blog number nine, which will happen after I finish this podcast episode. It's been It's been cooking in my head for a while now. And I love it. I really do enjoy getting back into the writing and I'll be doing more of that. The podcast and the blogs are all on one website, A Thousand Tiny Steps. I'm in the process of making that website better. I have these amazing, beautiful pictures from Utah, hundreds of them. And initially when I started the podcast, I didn't want my face on any of it. I just wanted, I just wanted graphics. And now I realize that what will, what will really sell the products, so to speak, get people to buy my book, not because I want to be famous author. It's because I want my story to be shared and I want people to read it and see themselves in it if they can. So the blogging, the writing, that's been a huge, something that's come from having this, the willingness and the discipline to do the podcast. Other podcasts. I listened to KK's podcast and I listened to my and Bialik's podcast before I started mine. But any good podcaster is going to listen to tons of other podcasts. And so I have, I've listened to podcasts and interview people. I've listened to podcasts done by people that I know. I've listened to podcasts that are recommended to me. I could spend all day, every day listening to podcasts. I have to be careful not to get sucked into the abyss. But I have learned so much. And the ones that I like the best, not surprisingly, are the ones that are similar to mine. I really like listening to people talk about their lives. And famous people, I just started listening to a podcast on the bookshelf. It's a Charlie Gibson from Good Morning America, Charlie Gibson, ABC News. I love him. They talk about books and I love reading. You know, but he'll have nine gazillion listeners and make a ton of money on it in no time because he's Charlie Gibson. And so 
you know, that sometimes that's a struggle for me. There are amazingly brilliant podcasts out there by people that are just like me, very unknown. So I love that. I love that I'm broadening my horizons and meeting new people on the podcast circuit. Another big thing since I've started the podcast is my connection to and growth at CrossFit Amesbury. CrossFit Amesbury is an unbelievably open community that looks at not only people, but the sport of CrossFit in a very open way. They have very competitive athletes there. They have families full of kids there. Before the pandemic, there were a lot more kid-centered activities there. They had to ease those back in slowly, as have we all. But one thing I love about it is they really truly do just accept everybody. And they have a variety of classes. It's not just, here's the class for today. When CrossFit first started, you didn't even know what the workout was. That was the beauty of it. You didn't know what you were doing until you walked in the gym. And I miss that sometimes. Like you can look now at what the workout is and fill your head with all sorts of preconceived notions before you even step into the gym. I miss that aspect of CrossFit a little bit. But they offer, you know, CFA 45. They offer MomStrong. They have a youth class, which is middle school and high school students. They have the Mighty Mites and Little Sprouts. They have all of these classes, the community wad every Saturday. So it's not just one type of workout. So there's a woman there whose name escapes you right now, but she's right around my age. And we talk whenever I'm coaching, because I coach there now. I have several shifts a week there. I love it. It's, it's just wonderful to be in a place where you know you're appreciated. And, and what they see in me is this slightly crazy 59-year-old woman with a baby who knows a lot about CrossFit, who know, knows a lot about health, who is comfortable around people, who can lead a good class and a fun class, can do an Olympic lifting class just as well as a CFA 45 class and can manage mom strong. I love that because it's hard to exist in a place where, you know, people don't super respect you or, or really feel that, I don't know, that you're what you say you are. It's hard, it's hard to really explain. My discipline in going there, you know, it's a 45, 50 minute drive, sometimes an hour. And I go twice a week and sometimes three times a week because it's a happy place for me. It's a really, really healthy, good place. And I have met amazing human beings in this CrossFit gym, not members, but also the owner and his family. And there's three gyms in this family and each gym is very unique. I need to get to the other two and really get a flavor for them because I, I just love the people I meet and the people they know. That's been a huge piece of my growth in my first year as a podcaster. A lot of the people in that gym listen to the podcast, which is exciting to me. I get pretty humbled by it, quite honestly, because I remember years ago, people would say, you know, you don't come across humble. I'm loud and confident and that can be off-putting to people. I once had, I coached with Zach Emerson, wonderful Zach. I got him a job at Concord High and I loved him and the boys team. And I always wanted to do more things together. And, and he goes, well, you know, you're a little emasculating. You kind of intimidate the boys. And I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that I was emasculating, but you know, I'm not a boy, so I don't know. And if the boys coach of boys is saying that this is how they feel, then they're right. I have never forgotten that. And so I don't always know. I know sometimes I can come on strong. But I love when people tell me they listen. It really, really makes my heart feel good because I just want to be able to share. My life has to have meaning. <laughs> it has to. These horrible things can't happen to me over and over again and not have some sort of wonderful thing come out of it. So CrossFit aims very specifically. I have my own CrossFit gym too. I don't want my Amoscake folks to feel like I don't love my home, my own gym. That isn't it. But we go to where we're loved and needed and, and we're drawn to the places we're supposed to be. And so I think I now have two CrossFit homes and they both say CFA. <laughs> so I'm lucky. So I've done two classes this past year. I, re I redid my level one CrossFit certification and I am signed up to do the CrossFit kids and then eventually my level two. That's exciting for me. I love taking classes. I think the next thing I need to do is get my doctorate. 
I always said I would have a doctorate before I was 50 and <laughs> that didn't happen. And now I'm going to be 60. So it looks like I'll get my doctorate in my 60s. But I like the learning process. I like being challenged. I like not knowing the answer and getting frustrated by that. And that's what any sort of certification will do. I'm doing the grief cert, which I mentioned before with David Kessler. I have learned so much from that and I can't wait to have the actual certification. In looking at what I can offer either in an online you know, way or a masterclass or a course that you sign up for that I've created, you know, or an app on a phone that you download and get things from, I don't know. But I know that part of whatever I do will involve those struggling with grief, grief and trauma. Those are some things that have happened for me in my, my one year since starting the podcast. In terms of craziness, you know, this has been a relatively uncrazy year other than being a mom with a baby. I oftentimes will reminisce about, oh yeah, that happened to me once, sort of stories about my life and how I've had these crazy things happen to me. I can say that I've nursed my baby in a canyon in Utah. I have nursed my baby in two CrossFit gyms. I've nursed my baby on my porch. I've nursed my baby in restaurants. I am a hardcore advocate of breastfeeding. It doesn't mean if you're a formula mom that you're a bad mom at all. In the process of my podcast and having a baby, I have met amazing mothers who are willing to share their breast milk, which is the most phenomenal thing ever, which probably happened all the time 200 years ago when there was no such thing as formula. If a, if a mother couldn't nurse her baby, she'd have found someone who could or the baby died. And I think both of those things happened quite frequently. I do know that having Jack and looking to the future, as I said in the beginning, I don't want to repeat my life. I don't want to repeat what I've done. It didn't work. <laughs> I get some panic sometimes around school and, and the first day of kindergarten and all these things because it just feels like I'm repeating something I already did, which is true. I mean, I am. I'm raising another child. I get panic stricken and I get little antsy. Another thing I learned recently is that grief will trigger unresolved trauma. That would be true for me. Molly's death brought up a whole lot of things and I lost a lot when I lost Molly. Those things can be re-triggered in the process of dealing with the grief. That's hard. I can't feel bad about those things. In this last 12-month period since starting this podcast, Gracie has gone off to Disney and successfully completed the Disney College program. She has no idea what's next for her, and that's wonderful. In the past year, I have met some amazing people. Some of them are people that I've met through, through Gracie and her amazing friends. She's on a cruise right now with three wonderful young ladies, Nicole and Kaylin and Erin. You know, Nicole's dad brought these girls on these two cruises, and they're having the most wonderful time. And and in his words, he feels blessed to have the opportunity to show them this wonderful time. Gracie is having a blast and going to places I've never been. She has a whole list now of places I've never been, which is wonderful. I love it. I have met some amazing, amazing people myself. I have met Lisa Christine because she does that, all the women's entrepreneurial work. She's phenomenal. And through her, I've met this group of amazing women. Joy, another child loss mom. I've met another Lisa that does amazing things with electrical currents in your body. I've met Linda, who actually, I have a yoga mat now because of knowing Linda. And really, I have that yoga mat because of Susan. I just wrote a blog about Susan. She is this hilariously wonderful, whimsical woman who just knows how to enjoy life and have fun, I think. So I've met these amazing women. Lisa and I are actually working together. I'm helping her with health and fitness, and she's helping me with really thinking of myself as an entrepreneur so I can complete these tasks that, that I'm supposed to do and I want to seem easier for me. And so she's been super helpful. We're sort of sharing services that way and it's been a blast. So that's been really, really wonderful. And I'm just learning. Lisa and I actually have a lot more in common than we ever could have thought. And I don't even really know how I met her. She came up as a friend suggestion 
Facebook does that. People come up as friend suggestions and I'm like, oh, she looks interesting and bada bing, bada boom, here we are. And I love it. Sitting here August 28th with a five-month-old baby and a lot of unresolved issues, but I'm in a better place now with them. Just had trepidation. I didn't know what, what to expect. And now I've gone to Disney several times. My daughter has lived in Orlando for several months. I've flown to Utah twice and filmed a TV commercial. My picture's on a building. I've been on tons of TV news and a couple of websites. I have two amazing, amazing JB Web Design. Judy, a huge shout out to you as well. If you have web, web design work done, web page stuff, she's someone you should look into. Jace Apollo. So if you have any podcasting and you know an online entrepreneurial sort of business stuff, these two individuals are phenomenal and they really do know how to meet the needs of their clients. I've had this amazing year, a year into the podcast. I don't know what will come next. As I've said before, I really love feedback and I would love to hear from all of you. I would love to hear from others of you who have podcasts. I would love to hear from those of you who listen and think you have nothing to offer. Yes, you do. Just anything, feedback, an idea. And I would love more subscribers. I have almost a hundred subscribers to the YouTube channel. So thank you. And I also would love feedback and suggestions on what you think I could do better. Some of my goals for the next year, for 2022 and 2023, is to solidify a more lucrative online experience, whether that's offering interactive services of some sort or whether it's creating media that people can watch. I haven't quite nailed that down yet, sort of letting it unfold. I have some fitness goals. I am really getting back into shape and doing some CrossFit competitions again. I would love to to step up my level there. I would like to get the book published. My book should be published. I mean, that hopefully will happen, but you know, knowing me, I'm, I'm the one person that could prevent it from happening. And then the other book, Virginia wrote another book at the same time to get both of those published and into your hands so you can read them. These are all goals that I have coming up. I want Jack to continue to be happy and healthy. I want our house to be better. I want the Molly B Foundation finalized. Listen to me, I want, I want, I want. I need to change all those words to I will, I will, I will. I will get my house in order. I will finalize the Molly B Foundation and have successful fundraisers. I will create an online presence that, that can be my career as opposed to a hobby. Yes, 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 I will do these things. And I will continue <laughs> to tell my silly stories and hope that you can gather something from them. So I'm going to end here. I know it was a bit rambly, but I really did want to sort of take a look at the year what's happened in the year. And if I just went through it month by month, September, October, November were typical for me. Falling into fall, I don't like those months. I hurt my shoulder and I was in a lot of physical pain. I didn't know what to do about that. Gracie was getting dark and cold. The Christmas show was coming. We did the Molly B basket. All of the things that I'm not looking forward to now. <laughs> then we had December, January, February and the holidays. You get a little bit rejuvenated and we went to Disney over Christmas and then we went back two weeks later to take Gracie and then we had COVID. So then we're stuck inside with COVID for the whole month of February. And, and that marched along. And then March, April, and May. So spring comes. Yay, the days are longer. And I had my foot operated on. So I had these big metal pins sticking out of my toes for six weeks. I moved the bed downstairs. And I still sleep downstairs because you know what? I can have coffee in the morning on the porch. <laughs> and Jack is just a few feet away. So that was spring. And then we have June, July, and August. We got through Molly and and the anniversaries and the horrible month of May. And then we have summer and summer is here and the hot weather and the delight till nine o'clock at night. And I'm getting super fit. And I do a CrossFit competition again. And the podcast is taking off and I get hired to coach at Amesbury. And look at all these things. I start blogging again. So, you know, I have to stop moping around, Barbara Jean. <laughs> be sad when you need to be sad, but I'm trying very hard to just share with you the things I'm feeling pretty good about. So one last teeny tiny thing. Those of you that are watching, I have this 
I have this area that I record the podcast. So I'm going to be setting up a new office. And so my season six opening episode will be from my new office. I'm excited about that. I will share about it when I'm there and set up. But I have a lot, a lot of changes coming and I want a lot of changes to come. So I'm going to try to manifest these things in my life. If I've left anything out that you think I should have talked about, I apologize. I really am having a good time with this and I appreciate so much everyone that listens. And I appreciate the fact that <laughs> Kenny's been at the park with Jack for like an hour and a half now. Yay. Do something good for yourself before you do something good for someone else. Keep listening. Keep doing all the good things that you do. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening and for supporting A Thousand Tiny Steps. I hope you enjoyed the episode and will continue to listen. Feel free to leave a review and share my stories with your friends. Also, please reach out if you have stories to share. I love hearing from and connecting with my listeners. If you would like to know what I'll be talking about down the road, you can find me on Instagram at barb underscore 444, on Facebook as Barb Higgins, and at my website, www.1000tinysteps.com.